0: Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station.
1: It's Thursday, 206 on the 630 Chat Afternoon News. Hope you're having a great day. A little cooler today, but warming up again come the weekend. It's Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross uh, still basking in the sun in Mexico, probably a few mudslides in, joining me, my old friend, Bob Murray. Hey Bob. How are you? Good. Well I'm good. I'm so I'm so happy that you're here with us today. You're going to stick around for a couple of hours? Absolutely. Awesome. So we have lots of uh, different things to talk about on the show today. We are going to talk a little bit of fitness with Jeff Woods from Custom Fit. Really looking forward to uh, this. This is the first time Jeff has been on the show but we're going to talk about aging Getting a little bit older and working out in the things that you need to know, things you need to do, and and that sort of stuff. And uh, how to slow it down a little bit. How to pump the brakes on uh, aging, that fountain of youth maybe. Plus, in France, how about this? France is set to give all workers the right to disconnect from work emails because employees are burning out. I want to talk with Bob Murray about this because we're on two totally different ends of the spectrum when it comes to this topic. We are. You're connected constantly. 24-7. I do not have work email on my phone. Uh, So I want to talk about that. I want to hear from Chedville about how all of that works. So we're going to do that. We have James Taylor tickets to give away today. I've put together a music montage of five tunes that you're going to have to identify. But first, why not? Bob is here. (laughs) Frontier Center for Public Policy.
2: Yes, ma'am. That's his real job. That's it. my day job. Your day job when it's you're not here It's obviously not me. fashion. Do you, I think this is an ugly sweater.
1: I think it's a fantastic sweater. And actually, um, I think I had a boyfriend in uh, 1986
2: who wore it to the school dance. I'm not sure that's a compliment. It
1: is. It's Argyle.
2: Argyle well, is yeah, back I mean, in again. It's, it's it's hip. I don't know. I, I was on sale. <laughs> and I bought it. It was the first time I've worn it. And as I was leaving, I'm like, I'm not sure this is nice. It is nice. I, well, thank you. Because I've been walking around going, I don't think I like this. Well, here's
1: the thing, though. Um, well, I was going to say, if you like it, it doesn't matter if anyone else likes it. I think it looks really good on you.
2: Well, th- well it's tan I mean,
1: and and beige and blue or dark
2: blue. I think. It's, well, I
1: think it matches Argyle. the jeans. Yeah, I don't know. Argyle was huge. Like you're ten years younger than I.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start that way, are we? Well, awesome. We're talking about the aging process. I mean, I'm 63, and <laughs> I... <laughs> no, but
1: you're at least 10 years younger than I am. At least 10 years younger than I am. So you were a teenager during the 90s. Yeah. Okay, I was a teenager during the 80s. Okay. Let's put it that way. Fantastic. I wore that sh- that sweater in the 80s. I'm pretty sure.
2: This very one. You're
1: pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs>
2: Wait, I'm surprised you didn't notice. I took it from your closet.
1: Yeah, well, um... All I know is that I'm... You shrunk it? (laughs) I (laughs) did. I had a chance. But when you think back at some of those things that you wore during the 90s... Oh.
2: I mean... You know what? Umbro shorts. Remember when Umbro shorts were? Everybody was a soccer player for some reason. And nobody knows why.
1: Well, I know, but you probably still have a pair.
2: Uh, Somewhere. No, I don't. Well, if they do, they would not be flattering. <laughs> um, and uh, plaid. Remember, like plaid was mm-hmm. the thing. Well,
1: and plaid's all back there. Is is uh, no. back being the rage well, yeah, Sure, know. it is. See,
2: I'm not. I'm not fashionable. Like I'm, oh, I openly admit, I know nothing about. I have no interest in it. I buy what I think looks okay
1: and is a good price. Or I actually,
2: yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I also don't really do a lot of my own shopping because what happens is that certain people in my life. Uh, uh, will come to me, and typically female, and say, you can't keep wearing free T-shirts. Oh, okay. And I say, well, why? And they say, well, number one, it's advertising something, or there's a hole in <laughs> it. And so then they're like, well, why don't we go shopping now? I'm not, I don't know about you. I'm a bad shopper. Oh, I, well, can, I'd I like to shop. I cannot deal with it. Like, three minutes in a store. You're out. I'm, like, if I'm not happy, I'm out. And storming out.
1: <laughs> Do you buy things uh, ever at full price?
2: Yeah, well, it depends on what it is. Did you buy that sweater at full price? Oh, God, no. No, no. Well, I mean, again, I wasn't entirely sold on it. Um, <laughs> because I know certain
1: people, my stepmom, unless... Yeah, well, no, I would say she never buys anything at full price. She would be the person who would go back to the store, go back to the store, go back to the store, maybe even tuck it away and hide it to make sure it gets down to the lowest price possible.
2: That's excruciating. Even thinking about that <laughs> gets me anxious. Because I, if I walk into a store and there's too many people, mm-hmm. I'm out. I am out. Like, I just I cannot do it.
1: But you're, you're, you're uh, don't take this the wrong way, but a fairly simple guy when it comes to dressing. You like your T-shirts, your sweater, and a nice pair of uh, Levi jeans. Yeah. And, the, and the,
2: you have fancy shoes on. You always have fancy shoes on. Typically, I mean, usually if you find me around the house, it's gym shorts and a hoodie. Yeah. But again, most of the hoodies are free. <laughs> they're, like, from football coaching. I mean, they don't really fit anymore, but they get worn because mm-hmm. they're there. They get all soft. They, yeah, oh, Absolutely but then when they don't fit right it looks ridiculous especially a hoodie cuz it starts you know coming up to your chin
1: yeah well then it shows off your belly and so yeah, well, it's like um, the, you know the t- the crop top
2: yeah it's back in style right <laughs> oh
1: gosh i hope not <laughs> i hope not ever but you know I look i back Is i you know i was on uh, i was on facebook the other night looking at some of my old high school girlfriends and you know every once in a while one of those pictures will pop up of those high school days and it's like oh my goodness did i really wear that and my hair was like that and and all of that but jelly shoes do you remember jelly shoes? Oh, I do. They were made out of those. Yeah. Yeah, they look like jelly, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And we did um, friendship, uh, what do you call them, safety pins? So these little safety pins, and you would put beads on them. Oh, yeah. And you would put them to your shoe, to your sneaker. That's do you remember hard. those? That's
2: hardcore. <laughs> That's hardcore. I mean, yeah, not Not good. Now, I mean, I went to a high school with uniforms, and it was awesome, precisely for that reason. Well,
1: what do you, do you think that that is better than allowing the free for all that it is now at high schools?
2: I thought it was better for me, for sure. Uh, I mean, I came from a, a family that was of, of incredibly modest income, mm-hmm. uh, and so, and again, not being at all fashionable myself, you know, even if I had the money, I would not have known what to go buy. Um, but it just put everybody on equal playing field. When you were at the school and you were in class, I mean, people would try to differentiate. You could still see socioeconomic differences through mm-hmm. other means, right? Who was carrying a purse, who had, you know, the disc man at the time yeah. or whatever else. But in terms of clothing, everybody was on par. I mean, it certainly wasn't all that attractive, uh, but it did resolve a lot of issues. And it was amazing how discipline wise and when I was working in the k-12 education system as an administrator many years later um, if you look at statistics discipline wise out of uniform days were significantly worse than every other day. it is because then all of a sudden you have I spent because I went to a Catholic high school and the Catholic administrators policing a free-for-all clothing it was a lot easier for Catholic educators to police uniforms <laughs> and they can stay consistent <laughs>
1: well I would suggest that it's probably easier for any educator to police uniforms this is what it is this this is how it has to be worn. Yeah. This is what is expected every day. And, you know, I know times change and all of that sort of thing. But I, when I was in high school and if a, a guy showed up with a ball cap on, it got knocked off your head yeah. by, you know, Mr. Peterson, the geography teacher. He would walk by and have no problem smacking it right off your head. It he was not allowed. No. And and you having worked in the system, uh, you know, within the last... 10 years or so, right? You've witnessed firsthand what it is. And, you know, my, my husband's a teacher as well. And anyone who's gone into schools or maybe seeing what your kids are wearing to school, sometimes, especially the summertime, but sometimes it's like, whoa, I, if, the, if these were my kids, I wouldn't let them out of the house. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I don't know if that just changes as you're getting older.
2: I don't think so. I don't, again, I, I mean, I, I'm early 30s. In I don't have kids, you know, full disclosure. But if I've always said I could never have a daughter, (laughs) because that would be absolutely an issue. Particularly, it's made much worse because of my own lack of fashion sense. So I would be like, "Well, this is I don't know if it's fashionable." I would just be that guy. I'd be like, "Go and put on a hoodie and sweatpants, and then you can leave the home." I don't care if it's thirty degrees. Don't wear
1: sweat. My my kid doesn't matter. My kid tried to uh, go to university the other day in a pair of sweatpants.
2: When I, you know, when, when I taught I at don't. the university, no, you know, it's so common when you teach at the university, especially morning classes, these students will tromp in in their early 20s and look, they've literally rolled out of bed and come to class. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's it's a culture. It's acceptable because it's early. But the, the funny thing is, is they don't think the person standing at the front of the room teaching can really see them. And as you're looking at you know, this going, this classroom is full of bums. Yeah. You know, when you're teaching a 9 a.m. lecture, it's it, unbelievable, especially on Monday, 9 a.m.
1: You know, my brother says my brother's a teacher as well and he looks around sometimes and he says, Oh, poor Canada. That's that's his line. Poor Canada. I you know what, I was I was told and i don 't know where this came from and in chadville you 've heard this this comment before this saying before is dress dress for the job you want, not the job that you have so even in high school, I tried to always dress nice didn 't have a lot of money in my family, anything like that i had I had jobs from the time I was well I was babysitting when I was eleven years old, but I had a job at the hotel when I was fifteen years old, so that money would go towards you know, some some tuition for college eventually, but for some clothes as well. But I thought I found it very important to make sure and learn fairly early what was appropriate to wear to work, what was appropriate appropriate to wear to school. But it seemed then that there was much stricter rules than there are now when it comes to what kids can wear to school and and what people feel comfortable in. And I get the fact that you want to be comfortable maybe Monday morning nine o'clock uh, in your. Minions pajama bottoms going to your, your psych <laughs> class at the university. But to me, does that, is, is that the image that you want to portray? But I think we've relaxed that standard
2: even in workplaces. I mean, how many workplaces now require business formal? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's quite rare. There are certain industries that do, that so-called corporate world or whatever else. Yeah. But the amount of people that push the limits... Right? And that have made certain things more acceptable. I think we've relaxed our standards on all of that. And I'm not sure if it's a good thing. I, I, I mean, I, I tend not to think it is. I, I wear a lot of suits and ties. Yep. Uh, I can't stand them, <laughs> uh, particularly when most of my dress shirts don't close at the top. Yeah,
1: yeah. They choke you and you <laughs> they get do that, a little bit. that burn on your neck. Yeah,
2: exactly. But, uh, and it's not from working hard. It's from trying to <laughs> breathe. <laughs> but ultimately, it's, it, it comes with the territory. And I don't think there's anything worse than when you show up to an event where you expect it to be, you know, a, a, whether it's a meeting or whatever else. And people are, are there in jeans and T-shirts shirts or sweaters, whatever else. And you say, no, that's not really appropriate for this forum. It's just not. But we, we've relaxed our standards. I'm not really sure how and or why. Is that a business thing, I
1: wonder? Is it a parental thing? Is that, or is it just the school system? Or is it just, was it finally, did it become easier? It, was it easier to relax the standards, let's say, or relax the rules in school than it is to enforce them?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. There's there's an element to that. And I think when you get into the workplace, I think it's also the culture of of the leadership and whoever the bosses are and, you know, how are they dressing, you know, and what are they coming in? Then, of course, people will push every limit they possibly can, whether that's elementary school, high school or the workplace. Yeah. People will try to push the boundaries to their limit to suit themselves. Uh, And if they know that there's rules are not going to be enforced. If there are rules at all, if that's articulated at all, then of course they're going to want to go with what's the most comfortable.
1: Yeah, and you're right. It changes depending on, on the workplace that that you're in. When I was on television, I they, I got teased over there because I wore, I wore suits and, you know, so blazer and usually a skirt and high heels to work every day. It, it was part of what I would say the uniform that made me feel prepared to do my job that day. That if I didn't have that, I just wasn't I wasn't really feeling that maybe I should be a television news anchor or a reporter or whatever it was. It it came with the territory on that. When I switched over to radio into morning radio, it was a, it was a tricky thing because at three o'clock in the morning, getting up, doing your hair, putting on makeup and putting a suit and jacket, (laughs) that was just stupid. (laughs) That lasted about a week, but I'll be honest with you. It ended up getting to the point where, uh, for a while I was so exhausted that I went to the total other side. So I, At times I get how you show up to class on Monday morning um, in your pajama bottoms, well, not pajama bottoms, but maybe track pants, because I was showing up for work at 4 o'clock in the morning knowing that no one was going to see me with a hoodie and a pair of Lulus on and my hair in a ponytail. But then I didn't feel like I was ready to do my job. Again, it comes back to making, you know, the, the total package making you feel like you were ready to do the task at hand. So then it went kind of came back this way. Okay, you need to do your hair. You need to brush your hair. Maybe put a bit of makeup on and at least look presentable. Put a nice pair of jeans on, a nice sweater on, whatever is appropriate at that place of work. Yeah. Right. But I've I've seen it. You oh, know, yeah. people, why are you wearing toques all the time at work?
2: Or indoors. Exactly. In general. I have a problem with the toque indoor style anyway. It makes absolutely no sense. And if your hair is that bad, mm-hmm. you know, get up a few minutes earlier and shower. Yeah. It is not good. Brush your teeth, wash your face, yeah,
1: put good. some deodorant on yeah. for the love of all things good. Especially when you're going to
2: fly. <laughs> You know oh, now we're on flying. No, but you know, it's it's exactly the same mentality when you can go out in public and for some reason people think I'm getting on a plane, it's all good. No, I'm sitting right next mm-hmm. to you. I can smell you. <laughs> and if it's that bad, I can guarantee the people around us Absolutely. can smell you. And it is not okay. It is not okay for me to sit for four hours beside you if you stink.
1: It is uh, 221 on the 630 Chet Afternoon News. Uh, Kelly says on the text line, says, Relaxed is okay in school as long as it's not too revealing. Boys' hormones are going crazy enough. They don't need to be revved up more. Well, you know... That is not
2: isolated to school. Yeah. That that continues.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I just think that all the way around, um, students should be dressed appropriately. And that means for for guys, I don't want your butt hanging out of the back of a pair of jeans. And you know, for girls, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, you know, just tank tops and and stuff like that. I I in my opinion, and I'm not a prude, but I think this is preparing you for your future job. This is preparing you for work down the road. Start early and learn um but make sure that it's in you know the right parameters um how about this it says hey guys i finished high school in 95 i just threw away my buffalo bills jacket last month <gasps> that i bought at pro image in dartmouth
2: now as a buffalo bills fan i why didn't you hang it on the wall i mean there's no reason for that, <laughs> that should never see a garbage ever <laughs> I have so much Buffalo Bills paraphernalia yes. of different size, and it's, it's, a beautiful. Shame. it's, it's a shame. beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, You know, you could go to all shame. these stores and buy all this beautiful decor. How did your you team need, do this year? You know, oh wow. You know, it's a, it's a building year. <laughs> it's a character testing year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, coming from a Saints fan. Okay, i have got to stop right now. It's 2:22. We'll take a break. Dell, your phone calls more of your text right after this.
0: You're listening to the 630 Ched Afternoon News with Jaylyn Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station.
1: It is Lynn and Bob Murray joining me in studio this afternoon. We got on the topic of, uh, of clothing, really, and, and dressing, whether the appropriate way to dress at work, what is appropriate, school, and...
2: On planes.
1: Oh, well, yeah, and on planes. But uh, a number of your texts coming in, but Dale's on the phone. Hey, Dale, what do you think about dressing at school and in high schools? Uh,
3: Okay, my kids went to uh, the Vimy Academy program, and at that point it was a dress code and they had uniforms. Then we consolidated with a hockey sports program. Well, the parents for the sports program refused to have their kids have a dress code because how dare we, and their kids are good enough and everything else. And it wasn't until the actual coaching staff said, look, your kids show up at games in a blazer, a yeah. shirt, and tie. Mm-hmm. If they can't do that for one day a week at the school, they're not allowed into the program. That was when the parents' attitudes changed. It was yeah. when their precious little angel and the $3,000 they're paying for that sports program, they wouldn't be allowed to attend. But up until that point, these parents screamed bloody murder about a dress code. Mm-hmm. I don't blame the kids. It's what the parents allow their children to wear. And these, some parents would sit there and go, oh, well, little Janie, she bought that and took it to school on her own. Well, how, where did little Janie get the money from for the hoochie pants?
1: <laughs> well, you know what, though, Del? Come on, <laughs> think about it. I, and, and maybe I'm just starting to turn into my parents here. I, I'm not sure. But, I, you know, when, when you went to school, I'm get, okay. when did you go to high school, Del?
3: Uh, That would have been in the uh, mid-80s. So
1: same as me. Okay, so you know what? And you think a little bit earlier into the 70s. Think about 70s and 80s. Skin-tight jeans. Like, skin-tight jeans. That's just what we wore, but was that appropriate?
3: No, it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. But at that point, they stopped enforcing dress codes in schools because it's like you just said earlier. It's easier not to enforce a rule... Than it is to enforce the mm-hmm. rule. Because if you just to let the rule slide, the first time you enforce a rule, you're going to have 12 parents calling and complaining and arguing that there's nothing wrong with their child because their child's perfect and special. <laughs> and the end result is that schools just gave up. When I went to university. Yeah. The program I was in, there was a dress code. If you did not show up, some of my professors, you showed up for class looking like you just woke up and were wearing your pajamas. You were asked to leave because you were not there to learn. And they didn't have the time to waste teaching somebody who wasn't there to learn.
1: Del, thank you for the phone call. Always great hearing from you.
3: You guys have a good day.
1: Take it easy. Jay says on the text line, you know what, I'm going to disagree with you guys. School especially high school is a place for free expression and development as an individual. What would you call kids Uh, what you would call uh, kids are by that age already becoming adults and deserve the right to exercise their own styles and expressions. Uniforms and dress codes are nothing more than an attempt to wipe out that type of expression under the guise of facilitating a better learning environment. There's plenty of time to become a corporate shill and bow to what others like you would deem acceptable uh, when you enter the workforce. I have no problem with expression. I never went to a school with a, a uniform. Uh, but again, I do believe that there needs to be some regulations, and those regulations need to be followed. And for me, that is, you know what? I don't want to see your arse hanging out the back of your jeans. I think uh, shorts need to be a, a certain length, and uh, your shirts probably shouldn't show off everything you own at that age in high school. That's all.
2: Yeah, and I agree. I mean, where I would come at it is to say that there are limits of expression when you are in a learning environment. You have to find that balance mm-hmm. between being able Able to facilitate a proper learning environment and not suppressing a young person's ability to express themselves. What that looks like, I mean, I, I think the caller actually makes an interesting point when we talk about, and you keep using the word appropriate, Yeah. and it's who is defining what is and exactly. is not appropriate. And what becomes fascinating in a lot of situations is when administrators call home, it's often the parent supporting what it is the child is wearing. Rarely do you hear, oh, I had no idea what they left the house in this morning, I'll, I'll be there to pick them up. <laughs> and so it's very much this idea as to who is, who is deeming what to be appropriate. How does it get enforced? And what happens if the parents disagree with the school? If the mm-hmm. school deems it to be inappropriate somehow, and it creates a really interesting situation. And so, I think that's part of why those rules have been relaxed.
1: It is 2:29 on the 6:30 Ched Afternoon News. Eileen Bell up next with your 2:30 newscast.
0: This is the 6:30 Ched Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 6:30 Ched, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station.
1: Thank you for all of your texts coming in. And where we you're talking, we ended up on the conversation of, of dress codes and uh, appropriateness at, at school and at work. Uh, Bob Murray joining me in studio for a couple of hours this afternoon. going to toss around a few different uh, topics. So we got onto that one. Just kind of happened, which was awesome. But I did want to, as always, uh, when you're in, I want to pick your brain uh, about some political... Stuff and and your thoughts on on what is what is happening sure. uh, at the provincial level and at the uh, federal level and of course maybe some on uh, the uh, the world level and I, I want to start with I don't think we've actually really had a big sit down talk um, in a couple of months and, and wondering your your grading and this is always a fun question off the top your grading of the Notley government
2: Oof. that's a tough question. Um you know, I, I think the biggest problem, uh, that the, the grade, by the way, is about a C minus. Okay. And the reason for it, uh, more than anything else, is that this government really seems to have trouble communicating with the public. Uh, I mean, the Bill 6 thing, was mm-hmm. really, it was a communication issue more than anything. The rollout was just handled really poorly. Um, The consultation sessions were handled really poorly, uh, to the point where you had, you know, somebody from a PR agency quoted up in Grand Prairie speaking on behalf of the government. It was was very, very strange. Um, And then, of course, you have the agriculture minister disagreeing or contradicting the premier who was over in Paris. It was all just kind of a mess. And now, more recently, I think where this is evidenced is with this whole rebel media thing, uh, you know, I'm I'm in no way a personal fan of of Rebel Media, uh, but why would you pick that fight? You know, from a political communication standpoint, why would you want to go down that road? And it's it was made so much worse because it was. Seen as NDP versus the Rebel. Mm-hmm. If, if it was ideologically similar, I don't think it would have been nearly as big of an issue. But it was
1: extremes, uh,
2: exactly. And and it was it just brought so much else into. I mean, and it it was the greatest gift Rebel Media could possibly have received, <laughs> which was an NDP government trying to bar them right, um, and then doubling down on it, and then a day later apologizing for it. it it's just it seems to me that there is they have to revisit the way that they communicate with the public. And this is not going to be an easy year for them. They're going to have a tough budget coming out. You know, they're taking slaps from the BC government. Very obviously, the BC government, Christy Clark's approach to her upcoming election in BC is going to be to paint BC's NDP like Alberta's NDP and spending like drunken sailors. That's not where you want to go keep our economy in B.C. in steady hands, and she's starting down that road of attacking the Alberta government. Uh, I mean, I give Rachel Notley some credit for taking the high road. There's really no value in getting into a mudslinging fight with Christy Clark, though I got to tell you, I mean, Christy Clark criticizing somebody else's Mm -hmm. public policy decisions, like come on here, (laughs) like, let's go. But again, to me, with with our government here in Alberta, it's a communications issue and it just doesn't seem to be going well. And that is that is a key component of governance. It's one thing to make decisions, it's one thing to, you might have a good caucus, you might have a competent caucus, you might have a great agenda in mind, but if you can't sell it, if you can't communicate it, and not only inform people, but get people on board with where it is you want to go, you are going to have a really rough few years in office. You know
1: what, Bob? Um, oftentimes, when you have a new government that that comes in, and again, you know, months into this now, people are saying, "Well, they're still, they're still learning. They're still, they're still new. We need to give them a bit of a, a grace period." Is that time up?
2: I. I'm the type of person that believes that when you run for government, you better be ready to take government. immediately. I mean, that's just the way that the system works. And if you don't feel that you're ready, then you should have allowed Jim Prentice to stay in power a little bit more during the transition until you were ready, right? You mm-hmm. made it clear you are ready to take office. You took office. Then it is your responsibility to run the business of the government. It is just that simple to me. I think in where there's a little bit more grace here in Alberta was... Until the last few days, nobody expected a change in government. There hadn't been a change in government in 44 years. But if you're in it to win it, you have to have a plan as to what a transition looks like and taking government looks like and staffing key positions, et cetera. Uh, in terms of the honeymoon period, as, as the so-called honeymoon period where we give them a little bit more grace, I think a lot of that ended with Bill 6. Because mm-hmm. it was, okay, th- this isn't even one of those leftover legacy issues. This is very much part of your agenda. And this is something that you're insisting on moving forward with, despite the fact that many are telling you this is not the ideal way to not only go about doing it, but that the policy itself is not an ideal policy uh, in terms of uh, improving farmer safety, et cetera. And yet you push through and you get into the Christmas break. And you say you didn't have to do that.
1: Are, are they making... Well, you know, I, I had uh, I was in a conversation with I'll just call uh, I'll call this person someone in the know over there, and was saying just simply it doesn't seem like they're learning. They are not learning what they need to do. It's just all mucked down. It is not moving. They're not moving forward. Um, and as you said, not um, relaying their information correctly. Having said that, you look at don't you hire experts? Don't you bring in key communications people to do? That uh, you look to be honest with you, the number of former journalists who are working over there now, whose hmm. job was com- well, but
2: communication but or is that different? It is completely different. Just because a journalist is not the same as a press secretary or a communications expert, and what is obvious is that some of the people that they've brought in are not being very effective in those jobs. It also, by the way, begs a number of questions when you have so many press gallery reporters now joining the mm-hmm. government. But that's a story for a different day. But I think in terms of moving forward, etc., the, the worst trap to fall into, this is not exclusive to the NDP. This is, talks about every government, regardless of partisan stripe, is that you stick to a blindly ideological agenda and you just continue to move forward, and you're very blind. You're mm-hmm. no, you no longer are able to listen. I mean, we saw this for almost a decade in Ottawa with Stephen Harper. It was just so bent on ideological premises that they, they were so narrow-minded, and they stopped listening. Right? And when you lose touch... With the people that are giving you the feedback and also the people that you're governing, right? it becomes really difficult to govern legitimately. And so in this case, I think that the biggest thing that they should learn coming out of Bill 6 was we need to do a better job listening and maybe halt the brakes a little bit based on what it is that we saw happen that time, which is, again, on some level so interesting given... You know, during the royalty review, during the climate change panel, they were obsessive about consultation. Those rollouts were handled, well, I should say the climate change rollout was handled incredibly well, the climate change plan. With, you know, and Andrew Leach did a really nice job of selling that plan and continuing to sell that plan. There was a coordinated strategy moving forward. The royalty review was, again, another great example of, of really a bizarre strategy to have. The premier come out and say, the, part of the reason that we're keeping things status quo is I didn't understand the way the function of the U.S. markets. Like, somebody put the premier out there with a talking point saying, okay, we have to justify this by saying you didn't get it. I, I, that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't think that's true at all, by the way. I think Rachel Notley is a very smart person. I think she knew exactly. I, I don't think they expected the royalty review panel to come in and suggest status quo and stick to that status yeah. quo plan and refuse to bend. Uh, and so the government had to find a way to... To release it and not and to justify not changing those those rates, but again, it becomes a communication issue far more than it becomes a policy issue, and so it will be really interesting to learn as the session resumes. Budgets going to be coming up, and they, there are a number of things that they said they want to move forward on whether or not they've actually learned some of these lessons. I mean, based on what we saw in the last week with the Rebel Media thing, thus far they have not.
1: It is uh, 2.43. We'll take a break here because we have to pay some bills. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the uniting the right (laughs) conversation that has uh, come up again. That's right after this.
0: News when you need it. Fun when you want it. This is the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 6.30 Chad.
1: It's 247, Bob Murray, the uh, VP of Research at the Frontier Centre for Public Policy, joining me in studio uh, for the next uh, hour and a half or so. We're chatting about a whole bunch of different things. We got onto politics, as we usually do when uh, Bob pops by. Um, So we talked uh, a little bit about uh, the NDP government. Right now it's a a C-minus. That you've you've graded them at
2: <laughs> yes, I'm sure I'll get some lovely notes. I
1: was going to say, can't wait to see your inbox a little bit later on 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 that one. I'm always so popular. Uh, curious to know about we we've we've seen more and more people talking. You know, they're looking at the poll. They're looking at poll numbers, saying, okay, you know what? We need to bring uh, Wild Rose and the PC together. We need to do something to to win uh, the next election. Your thoughts on this and how this process is going, and what do you think is going to happen?
2: Well, what I think the, the main reason that we're talking about it this week is uh, a poll was released by the Alberta Prosperity Fund, uh, which is a group seeking um, you know, whether or not there's validity in the conversation, what that conversation looks like. And this poll showed overwhelmingly, Uh, that there is interest uh, from many in the idea of uniting the right. Um, What I think is really important to take from this is, first of all, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, what the poll showed very clearly is that this is the start of a conversation. It validated the conversation because I think up to this point when we're seeing previous polls or before we were seeing polls, People were saying there is no right to unite in Alberta. There's no point in this conversation. This poll shows that, yes, there is validity in the conversation. Now what becomes really interesting is we determine how big the so-called right is, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're going to unite the right, exactly how much from the PCs identifies itself as right and how many would flock to the center and elsewhere. More than that, if you are to seek some kind of united right, what does it stand for? Right. So I think these numbers tell us that there is validity in the conversation and that, you know, electorally, there is the possibility that this could fare well if an election were held today. Uh, One of the most important parts that comes out of that poll, by the way, is 18% were undecided. Mm-hmm. Right, which is a really interesting commentary on the current makeup of Alberta politics. Uh, I think the the PCs are would think to themselves that that shows that people haven't decided that a united right is a good idea. I tend to believe that actually that eighteen percent were probably former PCers that aren't really all that happy right now um, with with the way things are going. Uh, but I, I think the the validity that's created by those numbers in that poll now leads us to the the real substantive part of the discussion which is what does this look like? If you are to have either a new political entity that sees a united right or you fold into one of the existing party infrastructures, what do you agree on? What are the key issues that you want to start talking about? What does the policy... Look like it is so easy to say that yes, you would vote for the United Right until you actually realize what it is that they want to do to the province mm-hmm. and do for the province. And make no mistake, there are a number of policy problems in this province. Education, healthcare, all of it. I mean, and, and these all need to be explored. So the interesting thing to me now is you say, you know, a group like the Alberta Prosperity Fund that has gone out and commissioned this poll to demonstrate the validity in the conversation, what comes next? You know, what is it that we're going to look at? What are the alternatives that an infrastructure would take a look at and what would you do for mm-hmm. the province? And this is the, actually, to me, the start of the more important discussion because it actually brings the discussion back to hard policy and substantive issues rather than very superficial political discussion about left, right, whatever it might be. Then it becomes very much to me a, a fight for the future of what Albertans want to see happen to their province, particularly when we have seen some fairly dramatic changes uh, in yeah. the last six months or so.
1: Is there a possibility in your mind that we could have a united right in whatever formation that is before next election?
2: Yes. Yeah, there's absolutely the possibility. But what that looks like remains to be seen. I think, you know, what was interesting about this poll was the, the differing opinions about would you like a totally new party to go under or under one of the current infrastructures? Uh, and that is really the question. Yeah. Also, I think the, we're seeing backlash, pushback from the Wild Rose, who wants to lead it, pushback from the PCs, because, of course, they're going to be internally fractured. Some are going to peel off towards the middle and the progressive side. Some would peel off towards a so-called united right. But also, who's going to facilitate this discussion and who's going to lead this? Uh, you know, Brian Jean wants to lead this very much for his own purposes. If you have a new party, you know, formed tomorrow under a United Right and people come together, it is highly unlikely Brian Jean is the leader of that party. Or Rick McIver. There I would say there's even less chance actually of Rick McIver being the leader of that party and <laughs> so who that,
1: then who is that person?
2: Exactly. But I think that this is why it's so important in my mind and my personal opinion on this is keep the politicians out as long as possible. Right, Make the discussion about policy, about substance, about the future of the province. You're going to find people that will want to run for election under a party banner. There will be no shortage of them. You need not have some of the current politicians involved in that discussion until you're absolutely ready. Because where I think the conservatism has gone off the rails across Canada is it has lost touch with its movement. What does conservatism in Canada mean? And we, I mean, this is not even an Alberta discussion. As I said, multiple provinces are dealing with this. If you look at electoral outcomes in the last five, ten years mm-hmm. in Canada, provincially, federally, what happens to our commentary on what conservatism means? This is where I think these folks in Alberta and, and the so called Unite the Right movement has an opportunity to not just impact Alberta, but in, to impact Canada at large, to be able to refocus. I mean, federally, You need a refocusing of the conservative movement after what happened in October. It's very clear that the federal conservative party is going to grapple with some of its demons and to find its soul again. And in order to do that, I think you need to see some kind of hard intellectual foundation and some policy substance. We don't hear much of that.
1: Where did it go off the rails?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, I think federally where it went off the rails actually happened around the time of the unification of the federal party. And it just became a very nasty brand. You know, conservatism became about hating everybody and being afraid of everything. You know, to me, if, if you're going to run a political election, if you don't have a message of hope of how you're going to improve people's lives to help people understand why their current reality can change and change for the better, then you're not doing mm-hmm. your job. Making everybody afraid of everything all the time is going to play to a certain point. We're seeing some of this in the American Republican race right now, where they're trying to make everybody afraid of everything to try to win the nomination. At the end of the day, that's not going to sell. Widespread because people want to hear. At the end of the day, most people do not really have the sophisticated understanding of the policy issues, either provincially or federally. What they want to hear from a leader, first of all, they want to see leadership, some gravitas, some charisma, and how is it that you're going to make my life better? regardless of my level of education. And a lot of that has to do with money. A lot of that has to do with taxation. But key considerations, education, what are you going to do for my kids? What are you going to do for my grandkids? Healthcare. You know, not only do I have parents in the system, do I have grandparents in the system, I'm going to be in that system at some point. Is there even going to still be a system there? What are, how can we fix some of these issues? And these, this is where conservatism, in my mind, lost its way. It lost its intellectual foundations, and it became very much about political fear-mongering messaging than actual substance
1: what's being done to change that though i have 30 seconds left are you seeing are you seeing a movement to change that are we are not we, yet not yet
2: i mean i'm hearing some very smart people talking about it but i still have not seen anything that i would say points to a change in that mentality yet
1: 255 on the six thirty 30 afternoon news a quick break with bob murray here when we come back we'll tee up the three o'clock hour Yes, and don't forget, we have James Taylor tickets to give away today. I've put together a montage of some James Taylor tunes, so you'll want to know his music. We'll probably do that, uh, you know, around that time that we usually do, about uh, 4.48, give us some time to go through it all. Uh, Three o'clock news with Eileen Bell. Up next, when we come back, Jeff Woods joining us in studio. We're talking a little bit about fitness, losing weight, getting in shape, especially as we might be getting a little older.